back to Strikes Are Fancy, the show where three gentlemen talk about whatever peaks they're interested in a given week. I am one of your hosts, Crying Craig. Along with me this week, I have... The Tragedy of Caleb. And I'm Regretful Rob. <laughs> and we're doing a bit of a change of pace from last week. Last week, it was very confrontational. and We thought we were feeling a little bad and feeling a little down about what we talked about last week. And so we have a very special guest this week to bring the mood down and calm things out a little bit. So why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? So I'm a sad but true Stacy. Oh. Uh, <laughs> Welcome. Great to have thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I've had a few things running around my head recently. A large part of that is a question of authenticity mm. and what comprises authenticity, mm. both okay. in art and in life and specifically like what is involved with authenticity and the release of emotion with authenticity interesting so a few things to talk about today i guess yeah. um if and, and if you listener can't tell stacy like came to us strong like with this idea and we were like hell yes, yes. so <laughs> she's actually you might be doing a little bit leading of the conversation today right which is totally fine i yeah. feel like i could i i feel like i'm interested enough in this topic that i could maybe even like write a dissertation so Ooh. like Whoa. i came with the receipts <laughs> for sure <laughs> nice but i'll be um, happy to read it yeah <laughs> So I guess a recent puzzle that I've had or connection or realization I've made concerns a person that's very close to me that I consider my, my mom, not my biological mom, but um, mm. someone I consider my mother sure, in all the ways that matter. Yeah. She is in a book club and the members take turns picking books. And as a result, she reads some things that she would typically not read. And one of the things she sometimes grouses about is that she doesn't like books that make her feel things. Oh. <laughs> She likes to read things that don't get too heavy, and any tension or drama that happens in the book, she likes to be able to tie that all up in a bow and, like, put it away or, like, pretty yeah. it up, if that makes sense. <laughs> Stamp it with resolve. Correct. Done. Correct. She <laughs> loves resolution, I'll just say. Um, or, like, if there's a logical puzzle. I think that also stems back to resolution. Like there's there's a like there's a hole in the logic of the story that bugs her? No, I mean like she specifically reads like mysteries ah. to like solve a logical puzzle. Okay. So she either needs it to be like a happy ending kind of deal mm -hmm. um, or a feel good kind of situation or like a logical puzzle that can resolve itself. Okay. So she needs it like real life where we always get answers. Right. Okay. 100%. Yeah. <laughs> I love you, mom. Uh, <laughs> no, but um, essentially she likes to read for fun. Sure. Mm -hmm. um, so she likes, like, like I said, cozy mysteries um, or logic puzzles. I'm intrigued by that because the books and art and media that I seek out are, or that I find most like powerful are like very like unfun. Sure. Like they're yeah. very <laughs> like, I want it to be impactful right. rather than like, I'm going to pick up this book and I want it to wreck me. Right. <laughs> like this, this is not going to be a fun ride, but I'm here for it. Yeah. So like, <laughs> I think the whole concept of like why we consume the media that we consume and like, why we identify with those things or need those things as part of like the human experience is just like a really fun concept in yeah, general. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot to unpack there. Right? But yeah, no, there is. It's very broad. That's why I said I could maybe write a dissertation on this, but she sees like my reading habits as like sort of like masochistic. Almost, oh. like, which, why are you doing that to yourself? Which maybe it is. Right. <laughs> I mean, like, so like that's a, an interesting concept as well. Again, why do we consume the media that we consume? Mm -hmm. But anyway, so long story long, 
I'd like to have a dialogue between the link between authenticity, vulnerability, and sadness or struggle or grief or trauma, those kinds of things, versus possibly, if we have time, the flip side of the coin would be like comedy, resolution, and or lack of authenticity for a reason, Mm -hmm. like our purpose. Sure. So as a way to sort of like explain why I'm like interested in this in the first place, I think it would be helpful for you guys to understand like me and like my background. Please. Mm -hmm. In my family of origin, I grew up in an extremely conservative fundamentalist iteration of Christianity. Sorry about that. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. Um, I was the oldest of 11 kids. Whoa. Um, So if you're thinking like Duggars, that's not far off. (laughs) Uh, So I was raised in a secluded farm as well outside of white. So my my parents did that very intentionally so that we would not be like exposed Mm to these like secular ideas very controlled environment very very controlled environment and they um they homeschooled me in my formative years as well so like literally my only exposure to like the outside world was anything i could sort of like surreptitiously read (laughs) so i because a movie or tv show they'll probably be able to see what's in it and be like no you can't do that but oh right exactly you can be like no it's got (laughs) jesus on the front it's fine (laughs) well and there was a lot of that too like when i was growing up obviously like harry potter was a big deal Mm -hmm. and then the religious right community like that was a big (laughs) no-no witchcraft and wizardry and all that but my what my parents didn't know was that like I agreed to not read Harry Potter as mm-hmm. a child, but I was reading like Philip Pullman, like <laughs> like killing God, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. So like I was like they were like, oh, don't read this third grade level book that dabbles in magic, and I was like up here like, yep. oh, let's just we're killing God yeah, now. We're gonna like, jump a few rounds. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Is that Golden so, Compass? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Okay. Yep. So hearing that, I hope I'm not trampling over a point you're gonna make later, but I almost wonder. You know, a lot of a lot of especially women that are in the hyper fundamentalist family structure, they have this like innate sadness that they don't realize. Do you think maybe that has something to do with why your mom doesn't like to read tragic books? So the the mom I was talking about originally is not the same oh, mom oh, as like, oh, yeah, my of course. family. Yes, of I'm sorry, I'm sorry. However, do I think that it impacts what I do read? Absolutely. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I think that there's an element of, like, how you grew up, how you were raised, the morals you were sort of, like... Mm-hmm. Spoon-fed. Indoctrinated <laughs> yeah. with. Um, no, no, and, no. Only and everybody indoctrinate had. people. Yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. No, um, I think everyone, to a certain extent, has that. Mm-hmm. It's just different based on the moral compass you were sort of taught as a child. Right. Okay, and yeah. some people were very spoon-fed that, and some people were, like... You know, sort of laws I fair about that. Right. Mm-hmm. Sure, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to raise you to be a productive member of society, but that if I get that done, good enough. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. I think in my case, it was very like you are going to this is this is the truth, like capital yep. T. Yep. And there was very little room for anything else, mm-hmm. L- little to no room for anything else. Anyway, like as a kid, like I would just read uh, not only as a way to like escape my situation, but also as a way to learn because I was not really like my homeschooling like sort of curriculum 
the textbooks that I was reading like said the earth was 6,000 years old right. and that oh, like geez. evolution was not a real thing. Right. They all, it all came <laughs> the religious skew. Oh yeah. Like, 100%. And, it was just like a continuation of like okay. church. Right. Sure. Um, and so I like learned at a pretty like young age. I, I was having some cognitive dissonance. You, you Let's put it that way. Critical about the world <laughs> yeah. around you. Yeah, so exactly. Was, was the math textbook kind of like, so Paul has six cattle. And uh, Joseph has seven. T- two daughters. Yeah. Two daughters. <laughs> Is this an equitable trade? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I. There. Yeah. That's another episode. But <laughs> uh, it's not. It's honestly like it's a joke, but it's like not that far off, Ooh. right? So, yeah, definitely. We, we should. We could, okay. could and should go into <laughs> we'll, that we'll at another that. time. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, so like this information that I was being given, like I could kind of tell from a pretty early age that. This was maybe not like at least there was some tension between like what I was being told and like the secular world as I was as I was. If I if I could pry a little bit when you were still a child and kind of under the care of your parents, were you rebelling at all? Was any of that like showing to them or was it all internalized? You like you had it and you were reading it and you knew that this other stuff existed. But were you keeping it to yourself? Um. I think it it ends up being degrees, right? Okay. So I think it was definitely mostly internalized. Okay. I imagine there would be a lot of fear that if your parents found out, hey, reading is indoctrinating you, <laughs> that right. you're one escape. Well, like they say, like the difference between like religion and a cult is what they do when you try to leave, mm-hmm. right? And so by me taking these steps, I – knew that I could suffer very serious consequences. And like at, you know, 10 years old, all you want to do is please your parents like that. And of course, as secluded as I was, that was the main relationship I had Mm -hmm. was with my family. (laughs) Your world would shatter if that changed. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of my reading and, and stuff sort of came upon, it became something that allowed me to cope, mm-hmm. but it also allowed me to like learn about the world. Right. Grow um, beyond the fence you were being kept in. Right. And as I realized that was happening, <laughs> the fence was happening, mm-hmm. the more I wanted to read. Would you say voracious? <laughs> <Like>. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the only, yeah, I would go to the library and get like 25 books at a time. Wow. Wow. And I would read probably 25 books in two weeks. Did the librarian kind of see what you were doing? Kind of like, oh, she's reading reading Philip Pullman. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think it mattered so much to them that I was reading that. (laughs) I think if my mom had known that I was reading that, that, there would have been huge issues. But like they had a very – my parents were too busy. Yeah. I mean 11 kids. Uh, yeah, Yeah. Yeah. So they were not like looking over my shoulder. Making sure I was adhering. Oh, sure. she's reading. That's great. Right. Yeah. There's a yeah. polar bear on the cover. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So anyway, all this is to say I read a lot and reading became a way for me to also like sort of – I still struggle with the word escape sure. because I think that has a lot of connotations that mm-hmm. I don't necessarily want to convey. Sure. Like I'm not necessarily like – totally upset about Mm. the way i was raised there were a lot of good things about it but there were also a lot of just like there were a lot of traumatic experiences as well expand maybe yeah yeah expand yeah Yeah. so um 
all of that made me sort of realize that that literature is either a mirror or it's a window. This is a common metaphor, like when we're talking about literature or like art in general. So mm-hmm. it either reflects your experience back to you mm-hmm. or it allows you to see other people's experience. Right. And so I think a lot of preference or maybe an uncomfortability about that preference might might be sort of like due to that where you're maybe not so comfortable with the mirrors. Because mm-hmm. we, we are all the best at ignoring our own faults. And so having a mirror held up to you that shows those faults is incredibly uncomfortable. Yeah, for Craig, sure. Are you, are you saying that you are capable of ignoring your own faults? Yes. Uh, and uh, <laughs> hi- highly avoidant. Uh, my my mirror is very foggy. Oh, God. <laughs> I, I spend all day <laughs> looking in that mirror. Uh, I got to stop doing that. <laughs> but you don't. I don't. don't we all, though? <laughs> don't we all? <laughs> that's the thing, though, Rob. You, what you don't realize is denial is so much easier. Just just lean into it. Just ignore it, and it's fine. If you, if you don't recognize that there's a problem, there is no problem. Oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> this is all hyperbole, by the way. I don't actually think this. I feel like I need to spread this No, that. Craig is actually, in reality, a huge nerd. <laughs> yeah. No, he's not. No, but I mean, like, I think, I think just the idea of being able to see yourself or your experience validated in literature is yeah. like a huge deal, which is why like representation matters. Yeah, right? yeah, absolutely. And I say literature, but I mean like art more generally, sure, right? Sure. In paintings, books, movies, whatever media you choose to consume. Mm-hmm. But anyway, the books made me question why, right? So mm-hmm. I'm looking for authenticity. Mm-hmm. I'm looking for like, because like in the Christian faith, right? Lying in particular is seen as like a huge no no, mm-hmm. obviously. But there's also like lying by omission, right? So like leaving doesn't, things out. Doesn't count in my book. So when I'm yeah. reading that was how I rationalize behavior my behavior going on. <laughs> doesn't count. So when I'm like reading these other experiences and having this cognitive dissonance, like I wanna know why I'm feeling mm, that way. Sure. And books allowed me to have the vocabulary to then figure that out. Good for you for being able to, like, at a younger age, recognize, like, oh, this is uncomfortable. Why is it uncomfortable? Rather than being like, this is uncomfortable, so I'm not going to do it. Yeah. You know, I just joked about that, but, like, that is an incredibly insightful thing to do. I think it was less insightful at the moment and more of a survival technique, oh, okay. <laughs> uh, if that makes sense. That that developed into a special interest or, like, mm-hmm. an the survival sort of instinct led to the growth okay. rather than like any sort of prodigiousness on my part. <laughs> okay. Just take the credit. <laughs> I'm very uncomfortable. No, I'm <laughs> So I was seeking basically truth and used reading to search for logic, reasoning, and meaning. For me and my lived experience, it's been about figuring out the why. And due to my ingrained moral compass, for me, this has always been completely integrated with authenticity and truth. And that part has served me well in the real world, right? People appreciate and respect authenticity, Mm -hmm. I feel like. They respond to it well, typically. Right, Yeah. yeah. 
So there's a lot to dive into. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so specifically around, I want to hone in on the authenticity element. Yeah. Because when you were doing this voracious reading, were you reading a mix of fiction and nonfiction? Did you have like a preference of one over the other? Um, I think I I preferred fiction. Okay. But I read some nonfiction also. Sure. Because I, I think it's interesting that you, you talk about the sense of authenticity, but fiction is inherently a lie. True. You know, so True. so how do you reconcile the idea of developing authenticity based on what you're reading or consuming when mm. it's set in a world that doesn't exist? Yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, interestingly enough, if you think about what the Bible is, mm-hmm. And again, I'm not I'm not trying to push anybody's buttons, but like it reads like like a fantasy book. Sure. Yeah. And so I think one of the first genres I turned to was fantasy mm-hmm. because it was very similar to what I'd yeah. been sort of like led to mm-hmm. or what was comfortable with the added like magic or yeah. whatever. Right. I mean, <laughs> from, like, the difference between Jesus I mean, and a wizard. God, <laughs> magic, you know, I mean, yeah, I mean, the, the some of the greatest Fiction of our our lifetimes are based on you know the the Christian creation story and the Christian salvation story like mm-hmm. that's Lord of the Rings like in a nutshell basically isn't that Dune too a little bit isn't Paul Trady supposed to be that I would say it's different because that story is told from Paul's perspective as the savior the whole time he is very transparent about that he is using the people that he's saving to get what he needs as well. So a prophet using the people. I know, but that's what I'm saying. Like that's the difference. Is like he's open about it, at least right. in the narrative. Yeah. <laughs> but bringing it back to Lord of the Rings, though, Tolkien specifically said it was not allegorical, and he was actually good friends with C.S. Mm-hmm. Lewis, and they had like a literary group. C.S. Lewis then took like the hard right, right, and mm-hmm. <laughs> like if you want to talk about like explicitly allegorical, like Aslan <laughs> the, is the line. is God. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I should restate, specifically around Lord of the Rings. It's like, I know Tolkien wanted to lean away from some of those tropes, but it's like, like you were, the original point you brought up, that there's these parallels that just exist in fantasy. It's because maybe some of these books were a little fantastic to begin with. And a salvation story is always going to have at least roughly the same shape. <laughs> for sure, for uh, sure. Yeah, so, I mean, I just, I think um, the way we talk about authenticity to, like, in our society, we've we have authenticity and struggle like encoded in our vocabulary. Mm-hmm. Like how many of us have said the struggle is real? <laughs> right? Or yeah. sad but true. Like I said, <laughs> sad but true Stacy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> or like what really living looks like. Hmm. Or proving that you're serious about a career or a partner or something like that. All of that implies through the language that to be authentic or to be real, you have to have that struggle. Hmm. Do you think those kind of idiomatic nomenclature exist, though, to simplify the dialogue rather than discuss the struggle? I'm just going to acknowledge there is one in this phrase that everyone's comfortable with and move on. You're talking about the triteness of the phrase? Yes. One (laughs) hundred percent. I actually. Yeah. I think one of the most fascinating parts like of our culture is like social media, right? And like the concept of you posting something, for instance, on Instagram, you posting a picture, right? But mm-hmm. it's behind filters. Right. And mm-hmm. it's, it's only of like a good day. Yeah, right. And it's not like it, it has 
very little to do with like a person's authentic experience. Although it is integral, right? I mean, that's why, you know, people use it is because it is a way of like communicating your life. Mm -hmm. But how authentic is it? Not in my opinion, not at all. Yeah. I, have a, I have a very hard line on social media and I apologize listener if, if this applies to you, but, or anyone in this room, maybe I should clarify the more someone posts on social media. I just naturally assume the more unhappy they are. Like if you're living more vicariously through this, this window pain that people get to see in your life and you're putting more and more effort into projecting that, I just naturally assume you're unhappy with what you really are and what you're really going through. Yeah, it's true. I post a lot of memes on, on <laughs> social just, media and I'm deeply unhappy. I was just getting ready to say it. I was like, what are you saying about me? I post funny shit. <laughs> yeah. right? I should maybe I should clarify specifically about self, like like to the right. to the posed images and to projecting, oh look how happy we are, look how amazing my life is. Yeah, memes are great. Memes memes are memes. <laughs> well, you're not on Facebook, but you haven't seen me posting the sad music lyrics recently. So oh, yeah. that that's been happening. <laughs> well, I mean that that is though, that is the other part of it, right? Is like so we expect people to be authentic, right? Mm-hmm. So we want that authenticity. Do we? Yeah, that's so I think the critic, yeah, again, the criticism of like things like Instagram are that it's a just a brief snapshot mm-hmm. and it's through many filters, right? Right. So we we actually I think don't like that necessarily. However, like on the flip side of that, you have people like posting on Facebook like my ex and I are fighting and blah 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 like really in-depth like emotional stuff as well but we also don't like that right but there's a right there's an inherent <laughs> there's an inherent like why did you do this in a public space right yeah. right that sh- do that behind closed doors like every other normal repressed human being and then yeah, <laughs> bottle it up yeah <laughs> and i think that gets to like maybe a sort of the root of what i kind of got to as far as like this line of reasoning in the sense that like so the, the personal sort of more like poetic or like very personal like journaling and that kind of thing is like a private thing. Mm-hmm. And it's very cathartic to do that sort of thing. And a lot of people find like that very helpful. And actually, I think we'll probably talk about that at the end as well. Sure. sure. But that's private, right? We're- as opposed to posting a private thing on a public Mm-hmm. platform i was just about to say like motivation matters so much right. there like are you writing genuinely for yourself and no one's ever going to see it or are you writing something that you're like well I'll share this later with that mindset you are going to write vastly different things mm-hmm. what what self filters are you going to put on what you create if you know eventually someone's going to see it versus i don't generally believe that you can be authentic if you are planning to share something. Mm-hmm. I mean, even if you do make the best effort to be yourself, you still know, well, I don't want to, I don't want to share too much. I don't want to expose too much of myself because someone else is going to see this at some point. Right. Or even if you, even if it's not uh, necessarily about yourself, if you're writing in a journal about an interaction you had with somebody and you think someone else might read that. Yeah. Well, you're not, you're not going to be 100% honest there. Yeah. yeah. So that brings up an interesting question, right? Is something that's curated for public consumption, say a book or a movie, able to convey authenticity then? Well, so I think there's I think there's two different things there because a a narrative story can 
convey authentic emotions. It can convey authentic situations without necessarily conveying the truth or the reality of the subject. So I'm very intrigued by <laughs> this, though. Like mm -hmm. the, the, the barrier that we put up between what is personally applicable to us and what is universally applicable to the human experience. Hmm. Why do we do that as humans? Well, because we're all the main character of our own story. I, I assume the shit that I'm going through is unique to me, no matter, because I don't know that anyone else is dealing with exactly the same situation. And because none of us talk about it to that level of detail, I'm going to know the little dirty details of the situations I'm going through. But for most people, we're not going to share that. First of all, Craig, I'm an NPC. I just go home and charge. And I'm ready with like little quips. I, I only come talk to you when you have the yellow exclamation. Exactly. Point. I have missions for people. So. <laughs> Well, that you do walk around with, like, a beam of light on you. Like, it's, it's uncanny. <laughs> uh, actually, I was going to say, I feel exactly the opposite. Really? Uh, yeah. Uh, a lot of what I don't share, I feel, is incredibly common, and nobody wants to hear about it. Hmm. Uh, you know, let's say someone asks you, hey, how was your day? You're not going to go into, oh, man, I... Uh, I would put my socks on this morning and stepped in some water that I spilled and, oh, it was just a horrible day. Just say I'm fine because <laughs> all of that is the human condition and nobody wants to hear it because they all – they've all experienced it. Nobody cares. Rob, I want to hear it because I've experienced it. I hate wet socks. <laughs> yeah. so. Is it not cathartic to – yeah, to know that you're not alone? I know. I, I already know. <laughs> okay. The whole world sucks and everybody hates it. So you agree there has to be some struggle for authenticity. Oh, God. I've never agreed with anything anyone said on this show. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. There has to be struggle for authenticity. I don't think that's I, – I wouldn't agree with that as a blanket statement because you can have a very joyous and happy experience and that's authentic. Well, I'm not going to say that – I think a lot of art, artists who have had torturous existences have – I'm not saying okay, – maybe it is. Maybe I'm saying it has helped produce that art that they've sure. created. Mm -hmm. You know, would they be – I'm not saying people deserve to go through that <laughs> shit. But like would they have produced that same art without having gone through that struggle? Probably not. Right. So – that's my opinion on that. <laughs> right. So I, I guess what I'm trying to clarify is to me, authenticity isn't necessarily bound to struggle and hardship. You can be authentic on the opposite end of that spectrum as well, mm -hmm. but it's going to come off as bragging. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> my day was great and I found 20 bucks and I had a great <laughs> lunch and it was, everything was wonderful. And we're going to block that guy. <laughs> yeah. I think for one to exist, the other also has to exist, right? Ooh. I was wondering if we were going to get into this. I yeah. struggle with that concept a little bit. I think that – so this is why I wanted to talk about the dichotomy, right, mm. between authenticity and struggle and, like, sort of comedy and, like, resolution, mm -hmm. right? Because traditionally, like, comedy is, is resolution, right? It's like – well, in a literary sense, comedy is – like, results in marriage at the end, so, like, it literally is, like, that kind of, like, resolution. Huh. Um, like, a comedy, like, it, as far as, like, a genre. Mm -hmm. Like, not talking about stand-up or anything, but comedy mm -hmm. as, like, a literary genre, like, ends up in marriage. So, like, if a play is a comedy, then it ends up in marriage. If it's oh, okay. a tragedy, it ends up in 
death. <laughs> you know? yeah, you're, talking right. about, you're talking about genre and not the nature of humor. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I just think it's interesting that we have evolved sort of like our references regarding these terms. Mm-hmm. Right. So like, I think today we have a concept of comedy that's maybe like different from in the past. Right. Sure. Comedy has evolved from being like situational comedy in a sense, like it's sort of like dramatic irony where like wrong place, wrong time, mm-hmm. or like hit somebody over the head by accident and then you turn around and there's the pan and the bat and the whatever. Right. And it's evolved into sort of like a social commentary almost, but with a filter. Hmm. Right. What makes something funny? Ooh, I actually have this. Oh, the one note you had? Yeah. It comes back to Aristotle's dictum and the ha, gaffa, ah, ha, ha formula. <laughs> um, okay. There's a quote from King of the Hill. Oh. Okay. I was like, oh, interestingly enough, I was going to talk about Plato, but. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> well, talk um, about him when you can go to Hank Hill. I know. <laughs> right? I know. Yeah. Hey, this is Bobby. <laughs> so when, when you said you were talking about tragedy, that is one thing I was I was hoping you would bring up was the inherent link between comedy and tragedy. Because in in that formula that I said, there is some truth to that because it starts with the ah, which is, in my opinion, that is a, a tragic situation has occurred. Yeah. Something that is... Gasp-worthy. Right, ah. yeah. And then there's a guffaw as you realize, hey, this is going to... That something is going to happen here that is mm-hmm. unexpected. And then, yeah, that tragedy unexpectedly turns either much worse or it turns out for the better, which is wholly not authentic in any way. I mean, I think so. So even in Craig's example of like being totally blissfully happy earlier, we talked about like marriage, for instance, Mm -hmm. even with that, though, I mean, you think about dating and like what it takes for you to get to the place where you're happily married. There's a lot there, of struggle there. Are some there. Big air quotes on that happily <laughs> that I heard. There's some no. There's some struggle there, though. Mm-hmm. I mean, like the. I mean, I mean, again, not being very articulate, but I think that's a universal human experience as sure. well. No relationship to have a crush. No relationship is seamless. There's right. always going to be rough edges in any relationship. It doesn't romantic or not. It's never going to be perfect. Right. Unless you're on Facebook or Instagram. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Unless you get to pick and choose exactly what right. you share with the world. And I think that imperfection is what is most authentic. Like, you, you're you not going in saying, like, I mean, I am not perfect. You know, our significant others, I'm sure, are not perfect. Right. Even though, you know, we like to think of them as that. So there's, there is struggle. There's always struggle. Yeah. And compromise. But is, is not... The moment that you share with a significant other of sitting quietly in a room together and you just share a momentary glance at each other and it's it's not even a very intimate situation. You you just look into each other's eyes and just you genuine, share a moment of love. Enjoying each other's company. Right. Just no, no speaking. Nothing's actually happening. Right. Just enjoying Is that the presence. not an incredibly authentic moment? It is because it includes, whether you say it out loud or not, all of the context 
of all of the struggle that you've gone through to get to the place where you're comfortable enough with that person to share that moment. And while I fundamentally, for for the most (laughs) part, I agree. (laughs) I really struggle with this concept of contrast is necessary to for appreciation because that gets taken to extremes that are unhealthy mm. oh, and, yeah. and that's where i that's that's where i'm resistant if you're picking up on any resistance from me it's that's where it's coming from is like that has been used to justify some awful shit <laughs> like oh like well you have to feel bad so that you can really appreciate mm-hmm. the good it's like no i i genuinely I don't believe that had to cheat on you so you'd appreciate when i don't yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> if, you, if you can't handle me at my worst you don't deserve me my best <laughs> I don't like sentiments like that. I, mm-hmm. I don't think it is as simple as that. And, and like I said, I think it can be taken to an incredibly unhealthy extreme. So do you think that that longing glance is more impactful or less impactful with the context involved? Ooh, that's a good question. It is a good question. And it, it because in, in the moment, consciously, Probably not even thinking about it. Like, mm-hmm. I think I think I could have that moment with my partner and not even think about it. Just be like, I am content in this moment. It's a nice day. I'm here in my home. Our basic needs are fulfilled and I have someone to share it with. I think sometimes it's not any more complicated than that. Mm-hmm. But it can be. It can be, oh, man, we went through all this shit to get to this point and that's nice. So right. I still don't think it's necessary, I think, to, to your question. Although, on the other hand. That's I why w- it's a discussion. I, yeah, I, yeah. I will agree with this this idea that it it makes things more authentic because on the flip side let's let's flip it the other way around you're in a heated moment you are I mean you are just crazy angry at each other I am filled with self-righteous anger yeah um <laughs> That has nothing to do with your your hypothetical. That's just right right now always always, that is my constant state of living general state Um, So you have you have yeah this moment of of just unbridled rage at each other for whatever reason because he doesn't floss his teeth <laughs> <laughs> um, and if there weren't for those tender moments this anger would quickly boil over and become a parting of ways right it'd be, it would it'd destroy, be it would destroy what you have right you need the glue so yeah it it makes. It makes this fight more authentic because you're really trying to get to even if the fight is uh, about flossing teeth. Well, is it is it really that or is it really, hey, don't you care enough about me to make sure your breath smells good? I think we need to define authentic because to me, what you just described is you're veiling the actual situation with a different situation, which can be authentic. But if if it's if this is just an argument that two unrelated people are having Mm. then we press stop and the podcast ends (laughs) um or we keep going and finally come to the authentic reason for this argument okay i don't know i think i think i'm i might be thinking about a little differently and that's why maybe we need to define Mm. so it's funny you say you would like a definition because yeah. I, I have one. That's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Glad somebody came prepared. <laughs> so um, authenticity, according to the good old Wikipedia, is a concept of personality in the fields of psychology, existential psychotherapy, existentialist philosophy, and aesthetics. In existentialism, authenticity is the degree to which a person's actions are congruent with his or her values and desires, despite external pressures to social conformity. 
So being true to yourself. Right. Only a single link to philosophy. (laughs) (laughs) Right, exactly. So I, 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 maybe it's just a bad example because in your example that you're mentioning, Rob, to me, you're not being authentic because you're not actually fighting about the thing you're mad about. You're not being true to yourself and no, what no. you're upset about. I think you're getting hung up there yeah, because probably. that's that that's the whole point of what I'm saying is mm-hmm. you're not being authentic. And if it weren't for the rest of the relationship, all the good of the relationship, that would just be the end of the argument, yeah. the end of the relationship. But you would divest because of in the same way we're saying that because of all the angst and anger, that tender loving moment becomes more authentic. This argument becomes more authentic because you maybe you don't in this exact particular instance get to the root of it, but eventually that will come out because the argument goes on. It keeps coming because I feel like that implies I'm a healthy, well-adjusted person. Rob, which that's, just not, that's just not true. Well, like, would you say that you're more authentic with strangers? Cause you had implied in that statement that, if you were having this talk with a stranger, you just straight up tell the stranger, you have bad breath, you should floss your teeth. Whereas with Peace. the, with the uh, lover or a, a partner, you're, you're, you're veiling it with, you should floss your teeth. I'm not going to tell you why. You should know why, but I'm not going to tell you why. Softening the blow. So is the authentication when, not there? In, in When I was in the army, um, this guy got his wisdom teeth out. and Which he, he likely didn't need. Right. <laughs> um, he, I don't, I don't know exactly what happened, but it was bad. Yeah. He was bedridden for like three, four days Ooh. and he stopped brushing his teeth. And I, I assume because it hurt, Sure, but months go by and he's just not brushing his teeth. And there is like this miasma around him. Like you cannot stand around this guy without smelling stale breath. Um, yeah. And this was in, in training. So people were bunking with him. I don't know how they survived that because walking by his room, you could smell it. And nobody said anything to him for all this time. Sure. Until the last day of training when, yeah, I did tell him, I said, (laughs) before you go to your final base, you need to start brushing your teeth again because I'm standing in front of you facing away from you and I can smell it. Yeah. So yeah, I would tell somebody, <laughs> well, but well, not until that relationship is done. Exactly. Yeah. You had, you had your parachute. Be like, yeah. Get by, I'm yeah. bailing. Yeah. <laughs> Good luck. This is an authentic moment. <laughs> <laughs> but you, you weren't willing to be authentic with him until such a time as you were never going to see him again. It's still essentially a stranger. So are mm-hmm. we built as humans to be more authentic with strangers than with the people we love? There's, I feel like there's an inherent Am I going to have to deal with the consequence? Yeah. If, if, if yes. I don't have to deal with the consequence, I'm, I'll am i be as authentic as hell. Right. <laughs> yes. Um. Well, and I, I, I heard a quote, and I'm not I'm not sure where it's attributed to, unfortunately, but it was basically um, – That means the- nothing, Stacey. <laughs> <laughs> you can't cite your sources here. Oh. We're not interested. Oh, damn. Okay. Okay. dissertation, gone. I'll be, I'll be, I'll be gone. Uh, I'll, take my, sure I'll take my leave. I'm pretty sure it's Oscar Wilde. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. Maybe. Um, Marcus Aurelius, <laughs> Albert Einstein. Yeah. Like, what about that anonymous guy? Yeah. What's he up to these <laughs> Anonymous, days? yeah. No, but it, it basically said that honesty without kindness is brutality, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. if you value your relationship with other people, you're not going to just go around being brutal all the time, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there is this, this mediation that has to happen mm-hmm. between like what we're thinking or what we're feeling 
and like what we express. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think like the space in between is actually where we get art. So I can tell you something without actually saying it to you. I can paint a painting for a guy that his smells like ass. And it's just a, it's a, it's a <laughs> pile of garbage. And I'm like, hey, I thought of you while I was making this. I mean, what are, I mean, what are memes, really? Yeah. 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 I mean, memes are touchstones of, of emotion. That's kind of how I think of memes. It's like, oh, hey, I want to convey an emotion with some sentiment, but I want to be able to get someone to that mindset without having to do much work. Right. It's a very, very articulate way of accessing the human experience in some way that's relatable for most, if not all people. Sure. Which is why I think it's a great tool. It's a great communication tool. Mm -hmm. It streamlines things. Mm -hmm. Which, nope, not going to do it. Not going to do it. And (laughs) and it has a, a degree of impersonality as well. Right? Because it's more universal and because it's less detailed. Say it. You're not like trying to attack a specific person. Yeah. You're you're just like saying this this experience is valid for me. Yeah. I, I yeah, I, I'll give it to you, Rob. It, no, d- don't. Dharma no, and, no, and no, Tanaka. No. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so, sorry, we have a running gag about Star Trek. Um, and, and that's perfectly fine. Yeah. I'm a huge Trekkie, so. Uh, so I, I don't. I think I butchered the quote, but you know what I'm talking yeah, about, yeah. right? Yeah, the speaking through metaphors mm-hmm. to, to streamline the conversation. But that's Captain what symbols America, are. The reference understood. Yes. <laughs> yeah. But we as humans, like that's how art is, right? Mm-hmm. We use these symbols or these series of experiences to convey a very specific experience. I think that it can be used that way, but also I think there's an element of, you know, interpretation to art that mm-hmm. I might create something with a particular idea in mind and someone else sees something completely different. So I don't know that we can blanket statement that art is universal and and is it always fosters understanding because it can muddy oh. the waters mm-hmm. too. Oh, of course. And that's why we have literary criticism, right? It's because there are all these different lenses by which we're trying to interpret Mm -hmm. a piece of art. And what does the author's intention have to do with it? Does it matter? The author dies. (laughs) Okay, uh, Mr. Roland Barthes. (laughs) I had pretty profound argument in high school with my English teacher about this. And in hindsight, I was wrong. But I, I argued that an artist or an author has responsibility for how someone interprets their work. And like in hindsight, I'm like, Ooh. that's dumb. Like that is so <laughs> yeah. stupid. Like young Craig, that you're an idiot. <laughs> I like, mean, there, there is a small, a small extent to where that's true because if you use a literary device that you know is commonly interpreted one way and say, no, actually I meant something completely different, that is on the author. But but no. is it? Because what if they genuinely meant it from what if they were being authentic? Hashtag, and I'm going to flip this on its head. <laughs> hashtag propaganda. <laughs> I mean, like there are forms of art, we'll say in quotes, you know, that are intentionally meant to deceive. Mm-hmm. I just don't think they're authentic because inherent well, in it is a lie. Right. But isn't there uh, a quote, and, and we'll say this one's by Edgar Allan Poe, because I don't know who it was, <laughs> <laughs> that artists use lies to tell the truth. I'm sure that is a quote, yeah. Well, the oh. whole idea of fiction in general. I mean, that's how we started at this right. conversation, yeah. right? But you're talking about the artist going into this piece of art quotes. 
with a meaning. With a lie. He knows it's a lie and he goes in there thinking, I'm using this to deliberately deceive a population. Right. That's the lie, not so, the lie of the propaganda. Okay. I, I was taking it to mean, I, I thought you were going after like satire and irony where something is said explicit, but that's that's not the real meaning of what was said. Right. Uh, yeah. And I think that's all very interesting. Like the concept of but satire. not authentic? Because there's a lens, multiple lenses that you have to know to perceive the work in its intended form. I mean, we're not out here eating babies, right? I mean, modest proposal. <laughs> like we're not we're not Swifties in that way, you know? <laughs> I was just gonna say, is it propaganda written by hyenas? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I I think Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, I think the idea of like creating art to intentionally manipulate through lying is interesting. Well, what well, if that particular propagandist actually believes those are his beliefs and he believes those? And so he deliberately puts it out. So to him, it is a truth. So is that still inherently a lie just because you disagree with those beliefs? Because uh, if somebody right. with your same beliefs put out something similar, and somebody else read it from that different lens, they would, oh, that's a lie, and they're trying to tend to bam, bamboozle people. That's For like, sure. Back to motivation. Yeah. What was, the, what was the goal of the piece? Yeah. take on Craig's role here. Oh. And I'll say, <laughs> so what you're basically saying is that there is no such thing as authentic fiction. Because if you if you say one thing that's untrue, that is not authentic. Rob, if, if you, I can't make sweeping generalizations anymore, <laughs> what am I here for? If you manipulate somebody into thinking a thought that wasn't theirs, that's not authentic anymore. See, I don't necessarily agree with that, but I'm intrigued that I don't believe that. Okay. So defend yourself. I think art is, I think art in general, unless you're specifically attempting to deceive, is a search for meaning with a capital M and mm -hmm. truth with a capital T. But I would posit but, that like most people who create art aren't deliberately trying to deceive. I think, I think. I agree. I think most believe in what they're creating and why well, they're creating. It. I think in, a, in, a, in an incredibly literal sense. All artists are trying to deceive. They are trying to show you something that that says something about the the human experience or the world through a lens that is fundamentally not true and not real, but in doing so, they expose something that is true and real. Right. So how is that not authentic, Caleb? <laughs> <laughs> Look at Stacey when you say that. <laughs> I mean, this is why we're having a discussion, right? Mm -hmm. You guys are talking so much about motivation and this this desire to expose something. And I'm just sitting here on a different page or a different chapter, I guess, because I always assumed art is an attempt to connect. 
Like that's I mean, that's what I would like. Someone makes something and spreads if their desire is to eventually and their motivation is to put it out there. They want to connect in some way with people. Well, sure. Yeah. But connect about what? Yeah, sure. Well, well and oh. our whole drive as a species is to be connected so mm-hmm. that we don't die, right? Yeah. Like we're mm-hmm. we're trying for connection. We That's have to work one. together as a society. We have to work together as as just a community or mm-hmm. as a partnership or as you know, co-workers. I'm three years away from living in my bunker. It's almost done. <laughs> I, won't, I won't see another living soul after it's As done. someone who's basically lived in a bunker. Overrated. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> so uh, to, to touch on that point a little bit about, and also a, a universal point from earlier, uh, I'm going to bring up a story of in relation to like how we connect other people and how that connects us through the art one of the stories that I've always found really weird on how I connected with, and I don't know why I connect with it, but like Doctor Who, there is a, there is the plot point of Donna Noble losing her memory. She's lost this entire point with the Doctor, that entire life she's had mm-hmm. with him. And it made her deliberately a better person, but then she regresses. And part of me was like, why does this connect with me? Why is this connecting with people? It is some of people's like favorite endings in the sad sense of a character. She doesn't die, but she essentially does. But that can't happen in real life. And then I was thinking about it, I was like, but it does. It does, It though. does happen in real life. People lose people without losing them. You know? Well, dementia is yeah, one. Sure. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so I think even in these outlandish sci-fi stories that we connect with that make us you know, feel the feels doesn't necessarily mean that they're not in relation to something that's happened to us in, in our lives, even if it takes place in some far-flung galaxy mm-hmm. you know for sure and would we find them interesting if we didn't identify with them exactly but I personally into identify with a person in a blue box <laughs> time and space but struggle is integral to the human experience mm-hmm. and to pretend like it's not is inauthentic i don't know what you're talking about i've never struggled in my life <laughs> <laughs> was... okay instagram <laughs> uh I was actually just talking with, with my wife about this a couple of days ago, this idea of resiliency when it comes to struggling. Mm. That, you know, I, I think there was a large portion of my life where if something didn't come easy immediately, I just didn't want to do it. Like, mm-hmm. You know, I did not want to struggle. I wanted to avoid struggling mm-hmm. and I wanted to do what was what I was good at, what was easy to me. And I think I've grown and I've changed a little bit from that. And now I'm much more resilient to those struggles. But I think to tie back to art specifically, for someone to create a piece of art and to put it and expose themselves to the world, there's inherent bravery there because there's going to be failure upon failure upon failure where you don't connect with people and you maybe feel ostracized and you feel alone. And the resiliency that comes that someone must have when when doing something like that um, is admirable and part of the human condition. So regardless of whatever art they're making... You could you could claim that there's an authentic portion of the creation of the art itself. Hmm? Well, resilience or resiliency is an is just another word for struggle, right? Well, it's how we respond to struggle. Yeah, I wouldn't say it's a word for struggle. The verb to struggle, though, if you're actively I mean, struggling, you're also still fighting for what you're looking for. That's fair. I'd... I'm not going to say it. No, I'm not say it. <laughs> no, it, say it. it. Well, no, say I, I'm probably going to cut this out because it's a little too dark, but like until you're not anymore, until you completely give up, 
Like there, there is an element of you can completely lose all resiliency and you're still struggling and you seek a way out because you don't want to deal with it anymore. So I, I would say like, I would not say all struggling means that there is resiliency. I don't think you should cut that out, by the way. Yeah. I don't yeah. think you should either. Okay. Yeah. I just, it's, it's pretty, it's, it's, it's dark. That's well, why I, what, I'm just trying to get that. But once you, once you lose that resiliency, you aren't struggling anymore. So I'm with Stacy on this one. There's if you're struggling, that inherently implies some resilience, hmm. and you are right. It can be worn away, hmm. but then the struggle stops. Right. Then you've that's, decided. That's rock yeah. bottom. You're okay. done. Okay. Craig's got his thinking cap on. Yeah, yeah, just yeah, so you guys know. Yeah, I, I, I got to mull on a little bit. Well, I, the, we, I don't. I don't have an off-the-cuff response. I got. I got. This I'm, is the sad episode. Yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> making me feel things I don't want to feel. Okay, mom. <laughs> <laughs> to tie way back to that, I am one of those people. I typically I will read things that are enjoyable because yeah, I, I, I view the world as already a dark and dismal place, and I don't need more of that crap. And, but you read Dune. Yeah, it's because it's an escape. It's a, it's a fantasy. It's you know. <laughs> Craig wants to live on Arrakis. Yeah, I don't have to deal with the the. It's objectively a worse world, <laughs> but they're not consequences that actually affect me. Okay. <laughs> like the things that happen in that world, they can't touch me. They can't hurt me. Yeah, sure. <laughs> and like to that point, escapism and in a like I mean like so you're talking about the healthy way, right? The unhealthy way is like what I experienced in childhood, which sure. is like escapism to the point of like disassociation right. from like my existence. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I am, right? I, I, you know, I joke about living in a perpetual state of self-righteous anger. That's a joke. I genuinely live in a perpetual state of self-distraction. Mm-hmm. So I don't have to deal with any, anything in, in a tangible way. Until <laughs> so, I make you watch sad stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Caleb sits <laughs> me down on the couch and says, all right, we're going to cry for an hour. Then we'll move on. I've done that like three times so far, and I'm so proud. <laughs> I'm proud of you, too. Got a moment of genuine human emotion out of no, Craig. He's not want, a robot anymore. Don't want he it. cries. Don't like it. But in that sense, again, like feeling is essential to authenticity as well. Or if I cry at everything, apparently it doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> it's not authentic. Then it doesn't, yeah. become, it doesn't <laughs> become extraordinary It loses anymore. all meaning. Because apparently we need contrast. <laughs> you good I mean, <laughs> I've heard that argumentation before, yeah. though, yeah. in terms of like telling people I love you too much. Hmm. I once heard if you tell people I love you too much, you know, it'll lose its meaning. Yeah. I don't I don't necessarily agree with that because that's how you're interpreting it. That is how like right. if someone says that to you too much and you're like, well, I don't like that. That's a you thing. That's not that's. They, it might mean exactly the same thing that it, they but meant it does, the first time. It does lose its meaning to that person, though. Yeah. Right, but that's not the fault of the other well, individual. Right, right. That's, that's what I'm getting at. But it does become a less authentic phrase. I hate, I, I'm not enjoying this. For the record. Like, <laughs> you can necessarily throw authentic in anything and say, yeah, that, that counts. I, I just, I feel like it's this amorphous thing that we didn't really. It really is, yeah. <laughs> For the record, I, I don't agree with you. Okay. I, I don't think, I, I don't agree with the premise that, the more you say something, the less effective it oh, becomes. Oh, I don't, I don't either. I just. <laughs> so if, if Caleb is the person who says, I love you to everybody, when he says it to me, perhaps it doesn't mean as much to me as if Craig were to say it to me, 
because Craig doesn't throw the L word around for anybody. So that would be like an exceptional circumstance. Right. So. so And you that, know that because you have all this context with Craig. Right. right. But in that in that situation to Caleb, it it means as much as it does when Craig says it. When Caleb says it, it means as much. To me, it means far less because he just throws it around. <laughs> How dare you love people, Caleb? Yeah. I mean, that's, God. I guess. <laughs> <laughs>
Well, like one of the interesting things I've read was about like Fahrenheit 451 by Ray Bradbury. Everybody's like, that's about censorship. They're burning books. I was just reading an article lately saying that Ray Bradbury intended it to be about like our declining attention spans due to the TV. Like he was not intending a censorship allegory, which I thought was interesting because like that's what I was taught by an English teacher back in high school that Fahrenheit 451 was about censorship. But his own authorial intent was you folks are losing your attention span because of the idiot bucks. And I want to show you that world. It was new media versus old media. Yeah. So I think right. it doesn't matter. Authorial intent. Honestly. So. I don't remember if it was English 101 or 201, but yeah, it was it was very important in that class that the death of the author happens. And regardless of what their intent was, the the use of literary devices that carries weight and the way that you perceive it is Far more important than what the author meant, and I I agree with that. Yeah, 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 I I agree wholeheartedly. Like I said, I I think I was an idiot when I was in high school, and I was like, no, what the author meant, like that's the way it should be taken, and they should be held responsible. It's like no, like everyone has their own lens, everyone is their own individual, mm-hmm. and how they perceive something is going to be built upon their experiences. That's right. But how about yourself, Stacy? You know, I struggle yeah? with with it a bit. I think that. If the author doesn't matter, if the context doesn't matter, if all if all of the external stuff doesn't matter and you're only looking at the work, like that is one way of of looking at art. Mm-hmm. But I think you lose a lot of the context, right? So you're going back to the the metaphor of like looking at someone longingly, right? Or lovingly or whatever adjective was used. Mm-hmm. You're losing a lot of that context of like well, Sylvia Plath struggled all her life with depression. Or, you know, like the the reason why this author like found a way to be as articulate and and passionate as they were to produce art, I think that matters. Mm-hmm. I would say it enhances as opposed to matters. I don't, I don't know what the difference between the two is, but I like it. And I think enhances the work, knowing the authorial intent enhances the work. But also experiencing the work myself, my feelings matter and how I felt about it and how it made me feel and how it made me feel. Oh, yeah. I'm not I'm not trying to say it matters more. I would put that my feelings matter more in in regards to the authorial intent. You know, it I I would go back to to the example of Fahrenheit 451. It wasn't intended to be an allegory for censorship, but it became a very powerful one, Mm. one that resonates very well across culture, well, at least across Western cultures. So knowing his intent, that does enhance what's going on in the book. But the truth of the book is really something completely different than even what he intended. I, You guys keep saying enhance. I would almost say skews. Again, once you increase the scope of your knowledge around a piece of art, that skews how you perceive it because you are adding external factors to how you look at something well sure but there's the common argument when especially in literature classes where you a student says why are we why are we analyzing why the author chose to make the curtains blue it doesn't matter maybe they were just blue and that's possibly true 
But the author still mentioned that. Even if they didn't consciously have a reason for it, <laughs> there is a reason they said it's blue. Rob, when you sit down and play an RPG and you're DMing, do you want your players to agonize over every little detail that you, you're putting into the scene? Or are you just putting some fluff in sometimes? <laughs> because because you no, need to describe the situation. The fluff is there to imply the greater existence of the world and to imply that other things matter. Okay. I'm going to blatantly steal a thought right now, and I don't remember who said it. But in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, Douglas Adams went into a huge amount of detail on why hitchhikers carry a towel and mm-hmm. why it's so important that you need to carry a towel. And he did all of that so you don't ask any other questions because you got <laughs> this great answer on why he's carrying a towel. Why is Ford have his towel? Why is it so important to him? Mm-hmm. Well, that's the reason. Okay, well, why is this so important it's, to him? It's the magician well, saying, look over reason. here. There's a, there's a reason. Yeah. You don't, I, don't, I don't know it. But it's there. <laughs> it just validates the rest of the universe. Right. Yeah. Okay. Unless you're Carrie and you focus on a trapeze artist that had nothing to do with the fucking story. <laughs> <laughs> that was, we're playing a DM or we're playing Dungeons and Dragons game. Sure. I think the example that sticks out to me in literature of like the details mattering, which I don't. I guess it is part of authorial intent, but I think it's just like the magic of art, right? Mm-hmm. And symbolism in general. In The Great Gatsby, there's a scene where um, after or during a party, um, the parties retreat into this library and the narrator picks up a book and he realizes that in this giant, beautiful, extravagant library, which is like one of the best he'd ever seen, right? The books, they used to be made so that, like, the the pages that you can open were, like, sealed, right? So they were, like, I, I, I'm hard to, I'm having a trouble describing, like, like, what the importance of this is. But, like, so the pages were not able to be read because they were, like, not cut. The pages weren't cut. Oh, they, they were a decoration. So they, they were weren't... strictly ornamentation. Yeah. No, like, meaning was literally not able to be gleaned. Sure. Mm-hmm. Right? And I think of that as, like, a meta, like a metaphor. For, like, blue curtain. Like, people make fun of, like, well, you know, blue curtains or whatever. Mm-hmm. But, like, I think that's the magic of art is that there are certain, like, tells, right? Certain symbols that we all, like, kind of relate to and understand as, like, this has a, a part in a conversation that's not necessarily being brought up here. But, like, it's a quick way to, like, access this whole other conversation. Hmm. So the author is they're lying to you to put thoughts into your mind to make you feel certain ways, like the propagandist. <laughs> lying? Is that lying to say that the, that the books were not able to be read? But that the, the curtains were exist. blue? The curtains didn't exist. But blue curtains do exist. Right, but not those curtains in that window in that apartment. But the beauty of art is that you can insert yourself. That's what I was saying. That was my point. <laughs> I believe you. No, I, I'm agreeing with you. Okay. That's good enough for me. <laughs> <laughs> what a perfect spot to end our, <laughs> our discussion here. Uh, agreeing with me. That's, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for allowing me to come and talk about authenticity and tragedy and... The amorphous blob that is authenticity. Yeah, whatever it means. <laughs> I'm still grumpy about it. <laughs> <laughs>
Well, thank you for being here. It was an incredibly fascinating discussion. Yep. Yeah, yeah, I had a really good time. Yeah, we don't always bring the most thought-provoking ideas when it's just the three of us. So mm-hmm. we really appreciate yeah. you coming in. It, it's really <laughs> just like, I like this movie. Yeah. <laughs> that movie's bad. You shouldn't like it. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's, that's but what these, about the sequel? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's how these conversations Reboots! Yeah. Yeah. But in a way, that is talking about whether you think that that art is authentic to you. Don't encourage us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but what you don't realize is that I've been lying the whole time since we started it, so I've been inauthentic but, since the beginning. But it did authentically strike our fancy. <laughs> yeah, it did. I hate this. <laughs> I hate this so much. Should we do final words? Any final words? Art is art. I mean, I don't know it, but I know it when I see it. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's. I, I think I'm in the same boat. Like, Art is what it is to you. And if it's authentic to your experience, that's great. Mm-hmm. And if it's not, then it's a, then it's also great because it's a view into something that you've never experienced before. I mean, either way, it's a good thing. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah. Last thought, Ray Bradbury would have hated TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> if you, listener, have any thoughts on anything you've, you've heard tonight or want to share your particular opinions on authenticity or have a particular piece of art that maybe has struck your fancy and you just want to tell us about it. Tell us your trauma. <laughs> <laughs> you can reach out to us at strikesourfancy at gmail.com or you can leave us a voice message by following the link in the description of this episode. Something you've never offered, though. They could in- Instagram us they could, I, or TikTok us. Yeah. I, how do you, I don't actually know how you communicate on TikTok and Instagram. Can you actually send just, DMs? Just slide, slide into my DMs, okay. listener. <laughs> right. So also next week, we will be talking about the nature of horror and the human experience, and we'll be bringing some of our favorite scary stories. If you want to chime in on that, please do. Please leave us a message. Thanks so much, as always, for listening in. And again, thank you, Stacey, for, for joining us. I've been Malcontent Craig. I have changed my mind, Rob. I am distraught Caleb. I guess I'm masochistic Stacy. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you in a couple weeks. Bye.